Good evening and welcome to the Catholic View. I'm Sheila Pirsch. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. Coming up in today's broadcast of Catholic View being a Wednesday, we bring you our health page and that will be done with Kafka, the Catholic Healthcare of Southern Africa. But before that, as usual, we begin with some of the stories that made headlines in Africa. So do stay tuned. Listen to Radio Veritas, 576 AM, 4 And in your headlines this Wednesday evening, God tells us to rise up, says Pope Francis. Vatican to end world hunger by 2030. And Africa intelligence chiefs unite to protect international law. Good evening once again, I'm Sheila Pirish. We begin with church news. The Pope traveled through the Paul VI audience hall, blessing and greeting excited pilgrims. During the general audience, Pope Francis focused his catechesis on explaining what it means to cross the Holy Door. The Holy Door is the meeting point between the pain of humanity and compassion of God, as happened in With the Widow of Nain, when Christ restored life to her son. In our continuing catechesis for this holy year of mercy, we now consider the miracle of Jesus' raising of the son of the widow of Nain. Jesus, moved by compassion for the grief of a mother, directly confronts the reality of death and restores life to her young son. This encounter before the town gates can inspire our own encounter with the Lord's life-giving mercy as we pass through the holy door on our jubilee pilgrimage. We approach that door bringing with us our entire past, its joys and sorrows, trusting that Jesus will grant us a new beginning and revive our hope in his promises. The new life given to the son of the widow of Nain reminds us that we too have been raised from the dead and given new life in Christ through the grace of baptism. The church has become our mother and we are called to be witnesses of God's merciful love before the world. During this Jubilee year, may we turn once more to Jesus, for he is the door leading to salvation and new life. May the divine mercy which we have received pass from our hearts to our hands and find expression in our practice of the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. Pope Francis said that every pilgrim who comes at the Holy Door does so with their past joys, sorrows, failures, doubts, and fears. All these things are given to the Lord's mercy. Pope Francis also said that the mercy a pilgrim receives from passing through the Holy Door must be transformed into something concrete to help others. Faccio le opere di misericordia con le mani e cerco di aiutare, di curare a tanti che hanno bisogno. 
Finally, he once again reminded the people that God always forgives every sin and asked the pilgrims to promote an authentic culture of encounter during the Jubilee. The permanent observer of the Holy See to the UN Food and Agriculture Organizations, including FAO, IFAD, and WFP, Monsignor Fernando Chica, is convinced that it is possible to end world hunger and is personally working to make it happen. I try to be the voice of the Pope and bring his heart and his concerns to these international forums, wherever my presence is required. I try to make myself the spokesman for his desire that world hunger is a problem that is only spoken of in the past. According to the UN, one in nine people are not able to eat enough every day to live a healthy life. In addition, each year, three million children die from lack of food. The good news is that every country in the world has joined and are committed to end hunger by 2030. However, they say they also need your help. If you don't get to work, if you don't say, today I'm going to contribute. While you were not the origin of the problem, not finding an end to this problem still depends on you. If you were not there at the start, you can contribute so this immense crisis has an end. You belong to the generation that sees that there are children who do not weep because they have nothing to eat. In order to end hunger, the Pope has a special recipe with three elements. First, assign a first and last name to the hungry. Realize they are people with projects, dreams and lofty ambitions, which they cannot afford because they have no food. The second element against hunger appeared in his famous encyclical Laudato Si, where he encouraged people not to be afraid of lifestyle changes. A lifestyle that renounces excess and luxury. For example, to renounce anything that is a wild, outrageous consumerism. A way of thinking that we throw out food, because we have plenty of food wherever we want. There are other people who absolutely have to choose only between tears and pain. We have plenty of food. They choose between despair, helplessness, bitterness, tears or hunger. The third point to combat hunger is to share. It means to have the courage to be generous and not give the poor what is left over, but instead what they need. To limit oneself and support religious or secular institutions to help the hungry in a serious and effective way. Thus our generation will go down in history, not because it invented the internet, but because they ended world hunger. Meanwhile, there are more tips on how to help on his Twitter account, at Holy See underscore FAO, with messages to prepare people to enter the battle, fully armed and ready to end world hunger. The missionary Oblates of Mary Immaculate OMI from Africa, Madagascar, celebrated the 200th anniversary of their congregation in Peter Marysburg, South Africa. The weekend-long celebrations saw not only religious from Africa, but devout congregants who accompanied their prospective parish priests. I spoke to Father Tabo Motiba OMI about the celebrations. We had about 200 priests, oblates from South Africa, Southern Africa, including um, Lesotho, Botswana, Zimbabwe. Madagascar also was represented, to as far as Kenya, Zambia, um, Namibia. They came with their people, not that only priests came, but the, 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 all the worshipping communities from oblates, uh, different districts and outstations and parishes, they were there as well. 
and you know everybody coming in like it was like another world youth day seeing like all of those flags now i'm like yeah it uh, it was nice it was great and yeah. it was another moment of reflection again mm-hmm. as oblates so the superior general was there um his grace buddhi Khale was there as well and a number of other bishops uh, came to attend especially oblate uh, 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 bishops so there was like a, a short ceremony just before the celebration of the eucharist where a reflection was made on Mary, the mother, of course, like you see, I mean, as you realize that our name is sort of like uh, taking her as our our, our patron, uh, Oblates of Mary Immaculate. And so as there was a procession of uh, the Statue of Our Lady and a very beautiful um, reflection was given on, 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 on Mary, uh, the mother of God, mother of Oblates, and... Um, the one who, through whom we are able to sort of like communicate with, with the Father through the Son, and uh, so then the statue of uh, our founder Eugene de Mazenot also came through, and then the history also now was read and beautifully so, and then the celebration uh, continued. So uh, the Cardinal Wilfred Napier uh, allowed the Superior General to be the one presiding. Uh, uh, the celebration of of the Eucharist, and we had Bishop Berwood, uh, the auxiliary bishop of Durban, uh, giving a very beautiful homily, taking us back to where we started. Because the thing was that we remember, we celebrate, and we recommit. So he sort of like broke that down nicely, um, remembering where we come from, the context under which um, uh, uh, the congregation was founded. It was during that French Revolution and the poor of the time. Mm. And then in the present, they have sort of like come in different phases, but they are still there. And as Obras, we are called in a very special way to go to that those difficult missions where we touch the lives of those who have forgotten about Christ. And then those who have not known Christ, it is our duty as Obras to introduce Christ to them, to give them that sense of being human, the dignity of, of, of being human, and then to, to make them Christians and then to, to encourage them to be saints. So that is one of those things that our founder used to emphasize on a lot. And so he reminded us of that, like now that the Re- French Revolution is far gone, it's 200 years later, mm-hmm. we still uh, find different kinds of uh, oppressions that are there. And those are the places where oblates should be found, you know. And it was so, so reassuring, you know, like um, one of the priests who was sitting next to me was like, yo, today I really feel like an oblate. I feel like I belong, you know. <laughs> and yeah, it, 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 it was. And then after the celebration, um, we had um, little children from Regina Mundi who came and representing all of the countries in their flags and doing like a beautiful dance. Really, I really have to mention those kids. They were so, so wow, you know. And then after that, then we went for a meal and then um, fraternal sharings and, you know, seeing the people that we have not been seeing for a very long time. And yeah, it it, it really was a great celebration. <laughs> In more African news, 
African intelligence and security services chiefs have called for temporary suspension of all pending arrest warrants and prosecutions filed against African leaders, as well as high-ranking officials until discussions are held among stakeholders to resolve the stalemate. This was part of the declaration following a week-long conference of the Committee of Intelligence in Kigali, Rwanda, that attracted chiefs of intelligence services from 51 African countries. Among other items on the agenda under the theme, countering the growing threat of abuse of universal jurisdiction against Africa. Participants deliberated on how African countries have fallen victim to abuse of international law. South Africa faces a political dilemma after opposition parties finally loosened the African National Congress Iron Grip in South African politics in last week's local government elections. In 26 cities, including Johannesburg and Pretoria, the black-dominated ANC, the white-dominated Democratic Alliance, or DA, and the far-left Economic Freedom Fighters, EFF, failed to win a majority. That means the parties which in the past have battered and bruise each other's images have to find a way to cooperate. We spoke to research coordinator at the Southern African Catholic Bishops Conference Parliamentary Liaison Office, Mike Pothia. We have a, a habit in this country of um, immediately that one election is finished, we, we turn our attention to the next one. And I guess that's because um, although there are five-year gaps between general elections and five-year gaps between municipal elections, um, the peculiarity is that the municipal one is held almost halfway through the five-year gap between general elections. So as you say, sometime around April or May uh, 2019, less than three years from now, we have a general election. Equally important, perhaps, is that at the end of next year, 2017, in December, the ANC will have its next national conference, which is also a five-yearly affair, and that is where they will have to decide whether to extend Mr. Zuma's term as president of the ANC for another five years, because there's no limit on how many times a person can be president of the ANC of the party. Um, and they will also have to decide who they wish to see leading the party into that general election for 2019. And after that election, it cannot be Mr. Zuma as president of the country anymore because, as we know, there's a limit of two terms for, for national presidents. So the ANC has got a big task on its hands. And I would imagine that uh, the leading lights in that party, the National Executive Committee, which makes these decisions, um, is really now looking forward and saying, um, do we keep Mr. Zuma? Uh, is he the right guy to lead us for the next three years and then hand over to someone else? Um, or has he become a bit of a liability? You know, certainly that on you know social media and uh, the, the popular wisdom out there is that Mr. Zuma's unpopularity amongst the electorate cost the ANC in this election. Um, th that, that is an, uh, a belief or a perception that is going to have to be tested by the party. Um, and we know that he has his loyalists. We also know that he has um, people that, that, that don't like him, don't think that his leadership is good for the party. So, yeah, all eyes there on uh, on the, their own national conference and then on the 2019 general election. The DA, I think, is faced with a somewhat similar set of questions, except that they don't have such leadership worries. But they, having been very successful in this election, having grown... Well, fairly substantially, 
um, I think they grew from from around about 23% to 27% of the overall vote in the country, which sounds very little, but it's actually quite respectable. Again, it's, it's, a, it's a growth of uh, about 12%, 11 or 12%, uh, which is substantial. How do they keep that up? That is the challenge for the DA. If they stop growing at that kind of a rate, if they start to plateau where they are, then they would have to face the fact that they're unlikely to get to the point where they can really challenge for national power. Um, at 27% of the overall vote, they're, they're roughly on a quarter, and they need to be at, at a half. So they've got a lot of growing still to do, and they've got to find ways of keeping up the momentum. Um, they claim that they've made a big breakthrough into the African vote, the township vote, if you like. Well, that may well be. They've got to keep that going, and that's going to be a, a difficult task. Archbishop Emmanuel Obo of the Catholic Archdiocese of Tororo in Uganda has warned against the teaching of wealth creation in the church, noting that it derails Christians from understanding God's gospel. Speaking during the ordination of three priests and eight deacons at Uganda Martyrs Cathedral in Tororo District on August 6, Archbishop Obo said although the church is interested in having a congregation that is wealthier, the teaching on wealth creation should not be at the expense of God's word. He also called on parents to encourage their children to join the priesthood as in Africa, one priest serves more than 12,000 faithful. President Idris Deby Itno of Chad has been sworn in for a fifth consecutive five-year term following his April 10 electoral victory that was contested by the opposition. During the swearing-in ceremony that was held on August 8th in the capital city and attended by 14 other African leaders, the 64-year-old leader appealed to all citizens, wherever they may be, that regardless of their differences, they should work together to rebuild the nation. Nigerian Bishop Charles Hamawa fears that Boko Haram terrorist group may have chosen a new strategy, arming Muslim herdsmen to attack Christian farmers in a bid to drive Christians out of areas that are now evenly divided between members of the two faiths. Bishop Hamawa says that he has seen evidence that Boko Haram is providing sophisticated weapons from the Fulani herdsmen who are clashing with Christian farmers in eastern Nigeria. Bishop Hamawa says that the new strategy might have been chosen by Boko Haram as the terrorist group has met with stronger opposition and its direct military attacks have been less successful. Upcoming elections in Somalia are an important milestone in the country's journey towards democracy. That's the message from UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon, whom on Tuesday welcomed the announcement of a timetable for the process. Dian Pen has more. Somalis will go to the polls between the 24th of September and the 10th of October to choose a new federal parliament. They will vote on a new president by the 30th of October. Mr. Ban said he trusts the timetable will be adhered to. The government of Sudan has an obligation to extend greater economic, social and cultural rights to the citizens of the troubled Darfur region. That's according to Isha Difian, chief of the Human Rights Section of the Joint UN-African Union Mission in the region. 
you name it. The four rebels have been fighting government troops and militias since 2003 and with 2.6 million displaced. Around 1.6 million civilians continue to live in camps for eternally displaced persons. UN Amid has nearly 16,000 military personnel, but its main priority is protection of civilians. Setio asked Ms. Diffen what rights the people of Darfur were entitled to. Economic, social and cultural rights are a treaty which came into force in 1966, which the government of Sudan has signed and ratified and has now submitted its second periodic review. These rights concern the rights and freedoms relating to workers' rights, social security, social protection, protection of the family, adequate standard of living, which means adequate food, water and clothing, the right to health, education and culture. These rights are also to be found in most national constitutions. They're called the Bill of Rights and they're also in national legislations and regional international treaties. The people of Sudan could claim these rights through legal process and ask for redress and should be able to obtain uh, redress for them. And if they fail in within their own courts, they can raise this at the regional courts in the AU. Meanwhile, Bishop Tombe of the Catholic Diocese of Ye has called on the South Sudanese government to reach out to the bodies representing the international community in order to end violence. Addressing the faithful during Holy Mass at Christ the King Cathedral in Ye on August 7, Bishop Tombe encouraged South Sudan political leadership to collaborate with bodies such as the Intergovernmental Authority on Development and the African Union in the country's conflict. Increased U.S. airstrikes in Libya could be the start of an effort to smooth the Islamic State terror group as it tries to cling to a key North African stronghold. Priscilla Huth has more. The mission is to obtain intelligence and to coordinate American airstrikes. But the U.S. Africa Command will only confirm to the Washington Post that small numbers of U.S. Special Forces are going in and out of Libya. The focus is Sirte, the town that is serving as the de facto capital of the Islamic State in Libya. It's also the strongest branch of that group outside of Syria. The newspaper reports there are also British Special Forces on the ground. Their presence is seen as another example of the low-visibility operations, which are playing a major role in the Obama administration's counterterrorism strategy. But there's also a political risk for the fragile Libyan coalition government, which has said there are no Western troops on the ground in their country. In other news, Brazil saw protesters come out en masse in Sao Paulo to support suspended Brazilian President Dilma Rousseff as the country's Senate voted for her impeachment. Protesters called for acting President Michel Temer to step down. Christopher Wells has more. With the eyes of the world on the Olympic Games in Rio de Janeiro, centers in the capital, Brasilia, voted 59 to 21 against the suspended leftist leader. A conviction would definitively remove Rousseff from office, ending 13 years of leftist rule by her so-called Workers' Party. The impeachment trial is due to start around August 25th, four days after the Olympics' closing ceremony, and will last five days, concluding with the judgment vote. If Rousseff is removed from office, Temer, her center-right running mate turned opponent, will take her place as president until the next elections in 2018.
And finally, more than 13 million people have passed through the Holy Door at St. Peter's Basilica during this Jubilee Year of Mercy. The Vatican figures are based on official registrations. The Jubilee Year opened on December 8, 2015 and will end on November 20, 2016. And those were our news headlines for this Wednesday's Catholic View. You're still with Catholic View and I'm Sheila Pierce. Thank you so much for being here with me once again. Coming up next, we bring you our health page. Welcome back to our health page brought to you by Kafka, the Catholic Healthcare of Southern Africa. This evening, Elvira Robeck, the Communication Liaison Officer of Katka, brings us the latest updates with regards to health matters. We begin with HIV and AIDS. What does Kafka has to say after the end of the very big uh, AIDS conference which took place in Durban, South Africa? Well, obviously the information that they received was just um, incredible from all the different sources. And what we as Kafka are going to concentrate on are the challenges that came up because obviously with all the good that's coming, there's still a lot of challenges that we as South Africans um, are facing. And one of the biggest ones is the adherence um, of taking the the, the ARVs, um, and we need to now look at how do we get people that are on um, you know the medication to continue to take their medication because what they've found through all the studies that they're doing is that you know people go and they get their medication as soon as they start feeling well they stop taking it because they're like oh I'm feeling fine there's nothing wrong and they stop taking it so one thing we really really need to to focus on is ensuring that people continue to take um, their medication and. The way we're going to do that is to help to make it easier for them to get it. You know, currently they've got to go to clinic. They've got to sit at the clinic for hours. They're literally going to take the whole day off work because they can sit there for six, seven, eight hours just waiting for their medication. So now we're looking at how can we make it easier? How can we decant the patients from the clinics um, and get them to get their medication from community care groups, from support groups, from vending machines, from, you know, places where it's a lot easier. So places like... Um, the rural community um, centers that CASCA has with their, with their members would be a fantastic place for people to just come and collect. So basically once, you know, um, the status is under control, they can just come collect the medication on a monthly basis and not have to wait in queue. So that's something that we're really going to focus on, which is quite exciting. Now, I understand that CASCA, in fact, the Catholic Church was quite well represented at the conference. We had CASCA, mm. we had the AIDS department, itself from the SACBC yes. as well. Now, mm. what were some of the items that maybe the Catholic Church came up with or brought to the fore with regards to AIDS and HIV in South Africa, in Southern Africa? So what they were saying was that the parishes need to be more involved. You know, back in, back in the days, um, the priests used to stand up and talk about, you know, couples being faithful to each other, not having multiple partners um, and all of that sort of stuff. And they're not doing it anymore. They've become very 
sort of slack with um, actually promoting the sanctity of marriage, the sanctity of staying in um, a monogamous relationship. So what the church is saying is that we need to start giving the message more. The clergy need to stand up more. And one thing that came up which is going to be fantastic is that parishes need to run health days. So not saying AIDS days, because, you know, AIDS still has that stigma. So what they're saying is the, the parishes themselves need to run health days where people can come in and be tested and screened for all chronic um, ailments, you know. So they'll be tested for cholesterol, for diabetes, and, of course, included with that would be AIDS. So, you know, sort of taking the stigma away from all the chronic illnesses um, and letting the parishes actually be a center point for people to come and be tested for that. And then, you know, going forward, they can then assist with, um, you know, maybe being a pickup point for their medication, um, running uh, support groups within the parish um, so that people that do have AIDS and other chronic illnesses can come and, you know, to have support groups because we find that those are very, very, very important. So we're hoping that the Catholic Church is going to play a much bigger role in um, helping to combat AIDS, helping to get people tested, because obviously, like we discussed last time, there's such a huge percentage, especially the older male, that is not that do not know their status. So we, as a Catholic Church, need to get people tested, need to get them the support, need to counsel them, saying, you know what, if you are in a relationship, you need to stay faithful to your partner. Um, we need to educate people, um, you know, the young girls saying, you know, it's actually a sin to have sex. Um, if you're not married, we need to say to the to the older men, it's a sin to have you know sex with um, and you know young girls that are like 14, 15, 16. So that's what the Catholic Church is going to hopefully do going forward. That's the sort of things that they're looking at doing to help to combat AIDS. Any other updates from Kafka? Just with uh, regards to schoolgirls, um, you know, we want to now as Kafka um, really educate. The, the 15 to 24 year olds, you know, that is the highest um, infected group. It's the group that's been infected the most. And we've got this sort of explosion of, you know, 15 to 20 year old girls that have got AIDS that obviously are then going to, you know, take it older and when they get married, pass it on to their, um, their partners and stuff like that. So we want to now look at keeping the girls safe, getting them to finish school, helping them, you know, educating them on how not to catch AIDS telling them not to get pregnant and stuff like that. So we really want to focus on um, education of the young girls of not getting AIDS. The other thing that we need to look at as at the moment, um, they want to do what they're calling differentiated care. Um, you know, at the moment, everyone gets treated the same, no matter what their AIDS status, where their, their CRB count is. Um, so what we need to do is we need to get to know the populations. We need to make, get to know what strains of AIDS they've got and how each person individually can be treated for the um, for the A's that they've got. So that's what Casca is going to be uh, looking at um, going forward. Um, so it's going to be it's quite exciting because we reckon that the feedback and um, you know coming back in a couple of years, seeing the results is going to be massive if we can get this all going. And how soon does Kafka intend to start this project of going to schools and talking to young girls starting from the age of 14, 15? We want to start it as soon as possible. We're going to start having sort of discussions about it. Um, and at, our, at all the conferences that we have planned, we're going to like, uh, discuss it, get people educated on it and going forward. We are also going to look at 
hopefully um, we have a training department and what we're hoping is that when the training go out, you know, our training department go out to train care workers that this is the sort of thing that they're going to be trained on, you know, how to deal with the young girls, how to educate the young girls. So we're hoping to start it um, as soon as possible, as soon as we can sort of get get all the, the information and um, place into place of the stuff that we need. Elvira, as usual, thank you so much for your time and for all the updates regarding Kathka. I do think that it is very important to give young girls and boys sexual education, Mm. especially uh, from a Catholic perspective. We Mm. do need to educate them about this. So I wish you you and Kathka all of the best. Thank you so much and we'll chat soon. Enjoy the rest of your day. And my thanks goes there once again to Elvira Robeck, the Communication Liaison Officer of Kathka. Remember that the health page is brought to you by Kathka, the Catholic Healthcare of Southern Africa. And that brings me up to time. You've been listening to Catholic View on this Wednesday, the 10th of August. Thank you so much for being here with me. I'll be back again tomorrow evening at the same time. This program is produced and presented by Shayla Pirsch for Radio Veritas. Until next time, God bless you and ciao, ciao. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Shayla Pirsch.